So, John chapter 14. I'll read the, the whole thing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, (coughs) that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will be manifest? How will you manifest yourself to us? and not to the world. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father 
for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning to share God's word on such a special occasion. Uh, Dom, wherever you are, I'll just, just drop it. Um, my name is Richard, I'm a member here at Grace Church. And uh, thanks to Heidi for, for reading John 14 first there. So if you do have a Bible, um, please um, keep it open and follow along with me as we look at these verses together. Now, nothing can prepare you for the moment when something earth-shattering happens. That was a quote I came across this week on the blog of an eye sheep. Uh, that, was, that was a new, new word for me. If you don't know what an eye sheep is, they're those people whose lives revolve around the buying and using of Apple products, the technology, not the fruit. And this particular quote was from an eye sheep who was left reeling at the shock announcement that Steve Jobs was resigning from his role as CEO of Apple back in 2011. And any sheep here may have painful memories of that day. But shock announcements and shock resignations from leaders, they can have a, a major impact in many different spheres of life, can't they? I'm sure we can all think of examples from the world of politics, sports, business. And it's often particularly bad when the leader is so connected with the products like Steve Jobs was or when the manager of a football team is the major driving force behind the identity of a whole team, a whole club. But in the lead up to our passage this morning, um, just before John 14, the disciples have heard some earth-shattering news from Jesus. Over dinner, the Passover meal, he has dropped three bombshells on them. Firstly, one of his disciples was going to betray him. We learn that that's Judas Iscariot. Peter, his keenest disciple, is going to deny him three times. No one saw that coming. But worst of all, he announces that he's leaving. And at the moment, they can't come. Their whole world has fallen apart over dinner. The disciples had left everything to follow Jesus, jobs, family, homes. They had put all their chips on him. He was the Messiah, after all, the hope of Israel. They'd stuck with him through thick and thin. The movement had grown. Jesus had been healing people. Crowds were coming to hear him preach. Everyone was wanting to follow Jesus. But in the moment, all of everything changed for the disciples. And they're left confused, questioning, and anxious about what the future is going to hold. What will all of this mean? And Jesus knows how they're feeling. And over the next couple of chapters, um, in the lead up to his death on the cross, he spends his last hours with the disciples preparing them for what is about to happen through his death, resurrection, and his going to the Father. 
And our passage this morning is bookended by these words of comfort from Jesus. Verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And if you look over at verse 26, sorry, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus knows how they're feeling, and he wants to offer them comfort, peace, assurance moving forward. He wants to offer them something more than what the world has to offer. Peace and comfort from trouble, who doesn't want that? Trouble is coming to us all, comes in many different forms. Personal relationships, money worries, work issues. And that's not to mention all the the background anxiety that's always there in the world with the war in Ukraine, the climate emergency, the rising cost of living. Life can throw you a curveball or a sucker punch and it can all begin to feel quite overwhelming. Despair can kick in, doubts creep in. Often trouble can be heightened for the Christian, can't it? We believe in a good God who is meant to have a plan. What's he doing? And maybe you feel like Jesus has abandoned you this morning. Well, Jesus wants to show us the path to true comfort and peace. He wants to offer us something different. The world offers a form of peace. The world's peace is is tied to the circumstances we are facing at any given moment. We're at the mercy of what life throws at us. And peace can only be had through the removal of conflict, the removal of stressors in our lives. But that's only ever a temporary ceasefire, isn't it? We can try to find peace by distracting ourselves from life troubles. We can turn on Netflix rather than news at 10 because it's too unbearable to, to grapple with what's actually happening out there. And Jesus wants to offer us something different. He wants to offer true comfort for troubled hearts this morning. A peace that will hold whatever the circumstances we face. And we're going to be spending most of our time looking at verse 6. And that's where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can only really do a highlights reel of John 14 in the time we have this morning. So we're going to focus on this central verse. And it's not just the central verse of this passage, it's really the central verse of the whole of John's gospel in many ways. And, and even the Bible, you'd find it hard to find a better verse to describe the message of the whole Bible. This is Christianity 101. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to unpack that this morning. Jesus is offering himself to you this morning. And you, you may think that Jesus is overselling himself a little bit there but this is what his disciples needed and this is what we need he said to his disciples at the start of the passage he says believe in God believe also in me he wants to turn their hearts and minds towards him don't trust the process don't trust your plan trust me and he's going to give us plenty of reasons to trust him this morning so we're just going to look at three things Jesus the way Jesus the truth and Jesus the life So firstly, Jesus is the way. Jesus has told his disciples that he's he's going away and and they can't come. Not right now anyway. He says he needs to 
go and prepare a place for them first. And then only then, he says in verse 3, will he come again and take them to be where he is. And then he says something that really confuses them. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas speaks for all the disciples when he asks the question. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? They can't set out on this journey if they don't know where they're meant to end up. Now, I often pride myself on my ability to get places without the use of Google Maps or if I'm out on the bike, just following my sense of direction. And 95% of the time, it works out okay. Unfortunately, there have been occasions when my sense of direction has failed me. And it's okay if I'm out on the bike and I'm by myself, but when you're out with your wife for a nice, relaxing bike ride in the countryside... Uh, and you get lost. Um, yeah, I think if we had some of the most tense moments of my marriage um, and in times like that, when, I've, when I've, I've taken her on an extra couple of miles. But we don't normally set out on the journey if we don't know where we're going, do we? And the disciples have these two issues here. They don't know where they're going, and they don't know how to get there. So where is Jesus wanting to take them? Well, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Okay, so their destination is the Father's house. But what's, what's he actually offering them here? Is this a place in hotel heaven? Book early to avoid disappointment. See, traditionally, I think this verse is just read as another way of saying heaven. And there is a sense in which that is true. But it doesn't quite get at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. So let's try and kneel down what he's saying Jesus has actually already used this phrase, his father's house, earlier in the Gospel of John, speaking um, in the temple, when he drives the traders out of the temple. He says, you know, how dare you turn my father's house into a den of robbers? So it's this connection. The father's house is associated with the temple. And we know the temple in the Bible is a place where God dwells with his people. But the earthly temple was only ever meant to be a shadow of the true temple where God dwells. But I think the biggest clue we get comes in verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. So where is this destination? Well, it's, it's not a place, but a person. It's back to the presence of his Father, back to the presence of God, back into relationship with the living God. That is what Jesus is preparing for his people here. You see, Christianity doesn't offer an eternity by the pool in hotel heaven. Though it offers us life in the presence of the living God. It offers restored relationship with the living God. That's where Jesus wants his people to be. That's where they can know peace. But why does he need to prepare it? What's what's he going to do? Make the beds, tidy the rooms, put out the towels? Well, there's, there's a problem, you see. There's a block in the road. The path is closed. The Bible describes humanity choosing to go its its own way. Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence in the Garden of Eden because they decided they could do better without God. Sin is living in God's world as if it's our own, as if we're in charge, as if we can chart our own path. And we've made a right mess of it. We've gone away from God and the door has been locked behind us. So much trouble in the world today is due to fractured relationships, isn't it? 
broken marriages, difficult relationships with children, tense relationships at work. But at the root of all our relationship problems is our relationship to the living God. And we chose to walk away from that relationship. But God sent Christ to come and restore it. And that's what he wants to do. Even if we wanted to restore it, we couldn't be the ones to repair what we'd done. The damage is too great. And so preparing a place for us would take Jesus to the cross. That is where he would deal with our sin. In our sin, the Bible says we are without God and without hope in the world. We are estranged from him. And that's putting it mildly. We've actually become his enemies. Jesus enjoyed this perfect relationship with his Father from all eternity. In our passage, he says that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. God is a Father loving his Son in the joy of the Spirit for all eternity. And that is the love that God wants to share with the world. But our sin means we cannot enter into that relationship. And that is why Jesus had to go to the cross. At the cross, he would experience in his flesh the absence of God. As he took all of our sin upon himself, he would experience life outside of that loving relationship that he had enjoyed. He would know abandonment from God so that we might be accepted. So that sin would be dealt with. And so that the way back to God would be open once again. The cross isn't simply that Jesus has died for our sins. It's it's a means to a far greater end. He wants to take us right back into the heart of his relationship with his Father. And as he rose again and ascended to the Father, having completed this work, he's opened the way back for everyone. He's blazed a trail back to God. And John says at the beginning of his gospel that to all who receive Christ, who receive this offer, who follow him the way, God gives the right to become children of God. That is what Jesus has achieved for us. He shows us the the destination and he takes us there. He is the way. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else could bridge the gap. Spending three years at Jesus' side wasn't going to be enough for the disciples. That wouldn't buy them this privilege. Jesus had to go and prepare a place for them. And that's why it was good news, he says at the end of this chapter, that he was going to the Father. They should be rejoicing because of all that he would achieve for them. Their greatest trouble, problem, had been dealt with. I wonder what you would say is the greatest problem in your life, the greatest trouble that stops you from getting where you want to be. Well, it's not the government. It's not your boss. It isn't something out there. We're great at playing the blame game. No, our greatest trouble is our sin and how that keeps us from God. And Jesus has removed that roadblock at the cross. He takes away that sentence of condemnation hanging over us by dying in our place. And the road is open forever back into the Father's presence. Jesus is the way. And if you believe in Christ, what he has achieved becomes yours. He has ascended back to the Father. Paul says in Colossians that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christian, that is where your real life is today. 
in Christ with the Father. You have a place secure in the Father's presence forever. If you trust in Jesus now, you relate to God as Jesus relates to his Father. His Father becomes your Father. You're invited back into the presence of the living God. You're invited home. That's what Jesus is offering here today. And so true comfort comes from being brought back into fellowship with the living God. Jesus is the way. Jesus is also the truth. The truth is on shaky ground these days, so it's hard to come by. There's so much disinformation out there. Fake news um, is one of the, sort of the hot topics. Um, it influences global uh, or political outcomes across the globe. We've seen uh, with the war in Ukraine um, how it's been a battle for truth in many ways. Media on both sides giving different accounts of what is really going on. Truth is the first casualty of war, as they say. And there's a flood of information about everything, isn't there? It can be difficult to figure out what's going on, how we make sense of events, and how to find truth to live by. How can we know truth? Is there solid ground to build our lives on? We want to know. Human beings are are natural truth seekers, aren't we? We want to make sense of events, make sense of our lives and our place in the world. To do that, we need truth. But how do we know what is true? Well, there's objective truth that we can learn through investigation and experimentation. We can know amazing truths like like these ones that I I found in a quick Google search. Um, We have enough DNA in our body to stretch from the sun to Pluto and back 17 times. Do you know that? We have, um, what else have we got here? Hot water freezes faster than cold water. Go figure. Um, And my favorite of all that I found, grasshoppers have ears in their bellies. Someone's done a PhD on that. Isn't that great? These are great truths, but they don't quite cut it for living today, do they? Science can tell us the how, but it can't tell us why. It leaves us with a a vacuum of meaning, of purpose, that is fundamental to living. living. It's too impersonal. It doesn't satisfy our hunger for truth. We can't turn to the absolute truths of religion or political ideologies in our post-post-post-modern, whatever it is now, world. Skepticism and doubt have won the day. Claims to absolute truth are seen as dangerous. They lead to blind fanatics wreaking havoc on our worlds. And so, in our modern world, we prefer to live in the happy land of subjective truth. No one really knows what is true for everyone at all times, so we need to just create it for ourselves. Create your own identity, purpose, meaning. Figure out for yourself. My truth, your truth. That's all we have left. But that falls short of the truth we long for, T. And Jesus is saying here, he is the truth. Not just that he speaks truth, but he is the truth. We don't judge Jesus by our standards of reaching truth. He actually judges us. He is the truth about life, about reality. Everything centers on him. Philip asks him here, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Philip wanted to know. 
If he, only he could see God, then he would know the truth about what Jesus is saying. He wants Jesus to back up his claims. Show me the evidence. And Jesus says something incredible. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Look at me, Philip. I'm your evidence. I'm the truth. If you want to know the truth about ultimate reality, look at me. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. If you want to know what God is like, like, look at Jesus. John Stott says he is truth with flesh on. It's the embodiment of truth. John, the gospel writer, begins his gospel by introducing Jesus as the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He has shown us what God is really like. We don't have to grope in the darkness. No, Jesus has shown us. And the moment we see deepest into this reality is at the cross. You want to know what God is really like? Look at the cross. Christ dies, gives himself in love for the world. He assures us of the goodness of God. He's good all the way down. We don't need to guess. We don't need to doubt. And this is solid truth to build your life on. Corey Ten Boom, a Dutch watchmaker who, along with the rest of her family, helps many Jews escape from the Nazis uh, during World War II um, by hiding them in her home. She faced many moments of great uncertainty as a member of the resistance movement in the Netherlands. And she was eventually arrested and sent to um, a concentration camp. But despite all of the uncertainty she faced, she could still say this. We can trust an unknown future to a known God. You can trust your unknown future to a known God. That should be a great source of comfort for you this morning if you're a Christian. Do you doubt what you've heard about God? Is he really good? Well, Jesus is saying, look again at me. Jesus is the truth. And that is a very exclusive claim he's making, isn't it? But it's also one of the most inclusive things. Because this isn't a truth that can be found only by getting a PhD. This isn't truth that can only be known by an inner circle who have access to the right information. No, this truth is open to all. He's an open book. You can come and look at him here in the Gospels. See if his claims stack up. Could this really be God in human flesh? This truth is open to all nations, races, people from every social class, people from, with all kinds of intellectual abilities. This is the most inclusive invitation to truth imaginable. He is the truth. The truth to build your life on. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and finally Jesus is the life. The disciples couldn't imagine life without Jesus, he'd been the focus of their lives, their fate had been wrapped up with his, and Jesus going away just didn't make sense to them. What good could come of it? Surely life was better with Jesus by their side. Well, the comfort that Jesus offers them is a greater life that could only be enjoyed by his going away. How can that be possible? We've seen that Jesus opens the way back into the Father's presence. 
But we're still left with the question, how do we actually enjoy that life? See, it's not something that is just in the future. We will enjoy this fully in the future. But we can taste it now. We can enjoy something of it now. Jesus says to them in verse... Where am I here? Sorry, I've lost my place. Verse 18. There we go. Jesus says, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. And that's exactly how they would have been feeling. Hopeless, homeless, abandoned. You know, we've heard the, the great news this week that Scotland is taking in, I think it's approximately 50 orphans from uh, the conflict in Ukraine. And we hope and pray that they will be well looked after during their time here. We hope that they find a new home, a new life here in Scotland. And Jesus doesn't want to leave his disciples as orphans. He wants to offer them a new life, a better life. That is only possible by his going away. By his going to the Father. You see, this new life could only be enjoyed by us now because the Spirit has been sent. Not so much of the rest of the passage is about As Jesus goes to the Father, there's this tag team scenario going on. He goes to the Father and then the Spirit is sent out. We see this ultimately in the book of Acts. As Jesus ascends to the Father, the Spirit is poured out on his disciples at Pentecost. And we learn a few things about the Spirit here. We learn that the Spirit will be another helper. Spirit isn't some poor substitute for Jesus. It's not like well, the substitute you are offered when the Tesco delivery driver comes and he's ran out of the thing that you actually wanted. No, he's another helper who will be with them. As they face everything they're going to face. The disciples here are going to face many trials, many troubles. Um, and the Spirit is going to help them along the way to stick with Jesus, to keep following him. Holy Spirit... He goes on to say, we'll we'll teach them all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus and the Spirit are on the same page. They're working towards the same goal. God's people enjoying new life in God's presence. You know him, he says, for the Spirit will dwell in you. He dwells in you and will be in you. And if you're a Christian here today, those words should knock you off your feet. This is what Christ promised his disciples. This is the reality for those who trust in him. This is how Jesus can say, I will come to you. In answering Jesus' question further on, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God dwelling with his people. This is the life that Jesus offers the world. Most religions don't even aim for such an audacious target. Many settle for a code to live by or a vague sense of God and what he's like but this is the life that is found in Jesus God dwelling in you by his spirit and there's one important thing I want us to notice about this life it's forever Jesus says because I live you also will live this life is tied to Jesus's resurrection life That means it's secure. It can't be taken away. Christ has rose again to the Father's side. 
and he's there forever. This is life that lasts. Isn't that what we want? Isn't so much our frustration in life due to the facts that things don't last? We think something will bring us happiness only to get bored and begin the search again. Seasons of joy come to an end. The new job turns into boring monotony. The joy of family life fades with the empty nest. Nothing lasts forever. We know we should be happy, especially when we compare our lives to others. And at the heart of modern life is a restlessness. We are restless in the midst of our well-being, is how one author puts it. Now, I've got a quote for you. It's actually quite a long one. I had hoped there would be a PowerPoint, but um, I'll read it slowly and see if you can follow, follow along with me. Um, it's actually written, written back in the 1830s by a French philosopher called Alexis de Tocqueville, I think. That's how you pronounce his name. But he's reflecting on what he has seen on a trip to the U.S., Now, this was written nearly 200 years ago, but it could have been written yesterday. So here it is. Here's what he says. It is a strange thing to see with what sort of feverish ardor Americans pursue well-being and how they show themselves constantly tormented by a vague fear of not having chosen the shortest route that can lead to it. The inhabitant of the United States attaches himself to the goods of this world as if he were assured of not dying. And he rushes so quickly to grasp those that pass within his reach that one would say he fears at each instant he will cease to live before he has enjoyed them. He grasps them all, but without clutching them, and he soon allows them to escape from his hands so as to run after new enjoyments. Death finally comes, and it stops him before he has grown weary of his useless pursuit of a complete happiness that always flees from him. The pursuit of well-being, contentment, the good life is exhausting and it will always evade us. And as he says here, death will put an end to our weary pursuit. But Jesus is offering eternal life here. Life that's not tied to material circumstances, that's not dependent on things going our way or our plans falling into place. He is the resurrection and the life. If your life is connected to his through faith, then you can enjoy this life forever. We will enjoy it more fully when he returns, but we can enjoy it even now by his spirit. And so he is the offer to you this morning. He is where true peace and comfort are found. Trusting in him as the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the aim of the whole of John's gospel, words that are familiar to many of us, I'm sure. John 20, verse 16. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The disciples did eventually know the assurance of all the realities that Jesus speaks of here. And we can know it too. Jesus offers himself to you today, the way, the truth, and the life. Will you have him? He doesn't give you the option of sitting on the fence. He is everything. He wants to fill your vision with himself. He is the one you are made for. Christian, is he filling your vision? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Is this the life that you signed up to? 
Well, he is true comfort for troubled hearts. He is the way back to the Father. He is truth to build your life upon. And he is the life that we can enjoy forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these words have been holy ground this morning. Christ is bigger and better than we ever thought possible. Forgive us for our small thoughts about Christ. We thank you for his death, resurrection, and ascension to your right hand. We thank you and praise you for the new life that you call us into in his name. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that now indwells those who believe. Please would you let Jesus fill our vision this week. Help us to see everything in light of who he is as the way, the truth, and the life. Please would he be comfort and peace that our souls need this week. Holy Spirit, never let us get bored of Jesus. Keep revealing more and more of him to us. And help us to love him this week in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.